Chapter 17 A thousand whispers like little legs crawling on her skin, breath coming from behind her teeth. A thousand whispers like a litany of regrets. Time as a joke played on obtuse Ori. Another mooring. Taryn didn't understand what was happening. She had been scared for as long as she could remember. She was running from something and her legs had given out ages ago. She was sure she would see nothing below her waist if she looked. She would realise her body had been worn down to nothing but old memories. You are nothing. Nothing in comparison. But you are another hold. A nail, a tooth, a burning, searing iron, a barbed tongue. It had her. She was a canvas, both anchor and boy. She felt it, latching, leeching, connecting, bleeding into her, pulling her under an eternity, the runa sky disappearing above. You are the knife to the strings of my compulsion. Thank you. She screamed, and night filled her lungs, weighing her down, pulling her to the centre of the world. She screamed, her back turning to cinders. Crow had decided on the clockwork for a reason, that reason being that it was one of the few places in Felhar they remembered fondly. However, their memory had chosen to conveniently forget one small detail about the clockwork. It didn't remember Crow fondly back. It turned out that what Crow had remembered happening in another shop over on the Gyre Islet had in fact happened in the clockwork. Unsurprisingly, the owner of the clockwork had not mixed those two places up. The last place they had wanted to end up in Ha was a tavern. Yet here they were, in a bloody tavern, neck deep in memories, treading bodies, fighting to stay afloat. The third glass of mead was making the staying afloat part increasingly difficult. With a stifled yell, Crow swatted the red ceramic candle holder on the table into the wall next to them. It made an unsatisfactorily dull sound, more crumbling into little pieces than breaking apart with the desired loud crack. No one in the tavern paid attention to the sudden little burst of sound from Crow's corner. Or maybe someone had. A shadow loomed over the table. I'll pay for it, Crow began dully picking at the reddish pieces of broken candle holder on the table. P 
put it on the top. They were cut off by the shadow turning into a person sitting down opposite them. They had short red-black hair that shot out from their head in spikes, held back from falling into their face by some sort of magnifying contraption fastened to a headband. Light green eyes around tiny pupils glimmered in their buff-coloured face, a good number of scars cutting across their skin. Around their neck, against a rough get-up of burlap and leather, hung a glittering little blue bird on an iron chain. Blue Lark. Crow let out a loud, incredulous scoff of all the bloody things to come back to haunt them. They didn't recognize the Ori themselves, but that didn't matter. You're going to waste your time trying to recruit me. I've got enough backstabbing to keep track of already, Crow said, completely unable to keep the rage out of their voice. Part of living in Har, yeah? The Lark said and pushed one of the two drinks they had brought with them towards Crow. Seemed Crow's tone either didn't faze them, or it actually intrigued them. Crow took the drink, and a sip, before even smelling it. With any luck, it was poison. Ain't living here anymore. Wouldn't go back if I could. Partially because of you people, Crow said, reaching out to give the little bird necklace a flick. They really were more drunk than they wished they were. Us people? The lark said. Yeah, you people. You're fighting the most losing battle I've ever had the bad luck of seeing. That's saying a lot. Consonants were difficult. The lark raised their eyebrows. What battle? We're information gatherers. Whatever you say. And history isn't information. Could you someone with that perspective, but... Crow breathed down their nose, slowly, steadily, and just stared at the Ori at the other side of the table. Familiar and unwelcome ripples uncomfortably darted across their skin, making them want to scratch. Instead... They frenetically spun a piece of the broken candle holder between their fingers. The thing they always struggled to forget. The thing that was always on their mind, in the back of it. Not the ender. The way leading to it. Mirva. Mirva's laughter in the morning. Her bright green eyes and the gloomy ruins they explored. The way she always managed to convince Crow that... What they were doing was good work. Going from petty street theft to joining the larks. Unearthing history. The closest thing to truth and the thing most separated from it, as Mira had said. Simultaneously mocking her old teachers and fighting to keep their memories alive. The tip they got that ruined everything. That had turned out to be a trap. The mistmares storming the place. The mistmares storming the place. Because the larks had realised there was money in selling out a lightborn. When every loyalty had proven to mean nothing. When they and Mirva had barely made it out of there. 
when Crow finally had had enough of only hiding, realizing they needed something more for protection. The start of everything going wrong. Something hammered like the pressure of being underwater behind Crow's eyes. The ender? The memory of it? What it did to Mirva? What it had done to them? Strings across their body, trickling over their skin, carving grooves into it like a bow over an instrument. We are all just matter. One consequence turning into another. I'm not looking to recruit, the lark continued, their voice distant like behind a wall. You just look like you could use some company. They gestured towards the earthy potpourri that Crow was fiddling with. But, well, maybe I was wrong. The lark tensed to stand up, but was stopped by Crow leaning in towards them. Crow pressed a smile to the surface of themselves, knowing it came out more as a threat than anything else. It was difficult to judge whether the lark found it off-putting or not. I could, Crow hissed, trying to take special care in including all the letters that should go in each word, battling their intoxication. Use an audience, for old time's sake. The lark watched Crow get a deck of cards from their little bag, loosing a few of the cards to the sticky nightmare of a floor in the tavern. It seemed the sight of the deck of cards brushed some nerves from the brow of the lark. At seeing the calm on the lark's face, Crow let out a sharp single laugh. If only they knew it was already too late. The force they would need to get up from the table now, it wasn't close to within the lark's power. Here they were, a piece of wood underneath Crow's knife of a grin. Listen, Crow said, and to the lark, it was as if Crow commanded the entire room to lower its intensity. The previously so haggard-looking Ori, black-blue hair on end, dark circles underneath their eyes, hands scratched red across the brown-yellowish skin, seemed changed. Or rather, it seemed as if the lark had been mistaken before, as if they hadn't seen Crow the right way. This was how they actually looked. The light had been wrong before, making them seem something else. This was truth. And it was exquisite, breathtaking, surreal. Crow didn't touch the cards but they still hovered in a kaleidoscope of colour in front of the lark, dancing to a manic, tuneless melody. Crow knew what the lark experienced, felt it themselves like a story being told to them because of the simple fact that Crow dictated it all. The lark thought the ridiculous thought that the cards were asking if they could come in. They wanted to be invited in, and it was preposterous because they asked so nicely. What could they do? It would be impolite to refuse. Impossibly impolite. 
crow should have stopped. They should have stopped long ago. But now they convinced themselves they couldn't. The intoxication had nothing to do with the alcohol now. It was like exhilarating acid in their veins. Slowly but very surely, the lark pulled a short sword from their cluttered belt. Without even a twitch, they pushed the blade into their own throat, making an opening, going so far as to pin themselves to the wooden back of the bench in the cubicle. Then, they picked up a card from the deck and pressed it into the opening in their throat, a content grin appearing on their face. They had avoided an artery, but that didn't help much. Blood was streaming from their neck, making the process of shoving more cards in there difficult. It didn't stop or even notably hinder the lock from continuing, however, not until their arms became weaker, eventually falling down to their sides, head hanging off the blade holding up their neck. One card, and then another one, snapped out of the opening with a wet sound, falling to the floor like bloodied baby birds kicked out of a nest. Oh my. I didn't know we were meeting another artist. It was a breathy squeal next to Crow. Very suddenly, they were pulled up from their seat by the neck of their shirt. It ripped, a sound that felt as if it came from inside of Crow. The grin they were staring into was wide, unpredictable, rippling at the edges. Well, you can't keep them. Another person towered behind the one holding Crow in the vice grip. Ah, the smaller person said, pouting. She mumbled something under her breath in an uneven rhythm, but still familiar to Crow. It was magic, she was mumbling. She was hiding all of this from sight. Crow tried to scramble for logic, for reasons, but everything was dulled by racing adrenaline and a very, very large, relentlessly approaching void at what they had just done. A mistake. There must be a mistake. The Ender hadn't warned. These could not be the agents of the Mist Mess. There must be a mistake. They must be looking for someone else. I'm not... I'm not him, obviously. You've, you've got the wrong person. He, he's not here yet. They're on their way. I've already told her. Crow stumbled over their breath while trying to get the grinning person to release their shirt, tearing at her ruddy hand. It seemed to only tighten her grip, however, and her face. Oh. I most certainly have the right person, little bird, she whispered, leaning in, and a deep, unnerving sniff sounded from her. Then, Crow looked into her eyes. Green, bright irises met theirs, unfocused, veiled. Everything even the atrocity echoing from the body in the seat next to Crow disappeared. They heard their lips part in stunned shock. Their voice came out a whisper. 
Merhaba. It was different. She was supposed to be asleep when this happened. The mirror she usually looked into was a window pane now. She could almost make out the noise behind it, drones of memories, chattering of emotion. The body on the other side of the glass had frozen. She saw the uncertainty of its edges, the scars of indecisiveness, of unfamiliarity. For a breath, she could almost make out the other body, the one her body was staring at. A whisper of blue hair, a sigh of cinnamon, the smell of calm. Let me go. Lon saw the grin stiffen on Derry's face, stiffen like the bloodkith's hand did on her Mark's shirt. The crow she had been sent to find. She stared back and forth between Derry and Crow, then down at the absolute mess of an aftermath next to them and around her to see if anyone had noticed. So far so good. As much as she hated it, Derry's magic held. But she doubted that would keep. Especially now, where Crow had said something and Derry seemed to have frozen to the ground. We have to go. She growled between her teeth. Derry still didn't move, just stared wide-eyed at Crow. With a loud snarl, Lon grabbed hold of the neck of both Derry and Crow and pushed them towards the door of the tavern, paying no mind to how their stiff legs stumbled. This was not the development she had hoped for, whatever this development even was. She kicked the door open with another growl, stomping off, dragging the other two with her. Priorities. She turned the still rigid and stunned dairy around so that her back was turned, tearing her rucksack open and pulled out a metal contraption. Thankfully, the crow also seemed to have ended up in some sort of wide-eyed catatonia and didn't struggle even a little as Lon attached the mask around their head. Through the small slit at their eyes, Lon saw eyelids lower over fluorescent blue irises as soon as the metal snapped close. Little purple glyphs across the mask activated, showing that the magic dampener was in effect. Having safeguarded herself against Crow, Lon turned to Derry, eyes furiously glowering at her where she stood, hunched over, hair draped before her face. If you don't snap out of it this very breath... I am leaving you here, she said, voice a dark rumble. Derry's head snapped up violently, blonde hair cascading off her face, eyes impatiently moving again, grinning at Lon. Then she went over to Crow, peering at them inside the metal cage of the mask. Lon could see Crow's listless eyes trailing up to the hex brand, peeking through Derry's sweat-parted bangs. Just need to stay on the safe side around you, little killer, Derry said with a grin and a small knock on the metal. Clong, clong. Onward, puppy, 
she cried with a small salute towards Lon. Lon hoisted Crow up to hang over her shoulder, shook her head at this whole situation, and then followed Derry through the maze of back alleys that was Falhar's dock's islet. Vesh was sitting by the side of the road, his legs folded underneath him. He had been waiting for quite a while now. It was distracting to be stressed about time while trying to communicate with someone for whom time would never again be important. She was crying. A lot. She had realized that she was dead, and she was very sad about that fact. Vesh had trouble finding anything to say or do to make her stop. He needed her attention. She would not give it to him. Here, in the cold, the messenger bag was still slung about her body. It seemed that it was important to her. Back in Runa, Vesh had seen the bag lie on the ground, its contents emptied out, torn apart, mixed with the dirt. It seemed someone had not wanted her messages to be delivered. They had almost passed her body by. It was thrown in a shallow ditch next to the Alva Trail. There was blood on the road, quite a lot of it, but they had passed that some way back. Someone had made a half-hearted attempt at hiding it, before probably realizing hiding something in the Alva was a futile endeavor. When they had found her, Vesh had said that communicating with the recently departed was an incomparably quicker endeavor than what they had to do to reach Kira, especially if he went alone. And, he had added, there was no need for violence as long as he was allowed to fully relax and concentrate. He had to tell Lady Kai three times to not pace around while he tried to do said concentration. Now he felt as if he had exaggerated the speed with which he was able to do this. Though he knew that the feeling of having been here for eternity, waiting for her to stop crying, had more to do with the place itself than any actual temporal reality of Runa. Am I boring you somehow? Her thought suddenly sounded, swollen with tears, sharp with petty anger. Vesh realized he had started to drift off thinking about other things. It had probably shown. So, she was paying attention. Not at all. I just felt insufficient in helping you. Almost entirely true, at least. Hopefully she wasn't attuned enough to invade fully. I am sorry this happened to you. The thought made her whole face crumple up and nigh-invisible tears ran down her face again. The static vibrated around her. Not much but her sense of betrayal held her intact, it seemed. She was ready to slip deeper into the lands of the cold. A sense of time in this place, after all. I want to make sure whoever did this does not go free of consequence or hurt someone else. Could you show me who they were? Slowly he could see her realizing more fully what had happened to her. The bag slid off her, the limbs that had been half chewed off lost tissue. She looked at herself as it happened, her face 
disappointed. I had more to give, you know, she thought, glaring at the jagged teeth marks on her arm. Then she shrugged. Not that I care what happens to them, but... Very well, then. She allowed her death to bleed through, settled time at a specific solid moment for Vesh. It appeared and was gone in a flash, but in that short time, it had imprinted itself in Vesh's mind as if he had been staring at it for hours. At the memory she shared, he recoiled, feeling his concentration give way rapidly. He was scared. She sneered at him, unimpressed, and slipped away in pieces, becoming part of the static around her like tufts of wool tumbling off in a storm. Everything settled around Vesh again, colour seeping in, sharp, bright. He was used to it, but he was so startled that he forgot to shut his eyes. Blinded, he accepted the help to stand from Taran and Lejikai and started to rapidly relay what he had seen as best he could. It felt as if he wanted it out of himself, to be rid of it, knowing full well that was not how information worked. A tall, muscular form, towering over the other. Her skin seemed unhealthy, sickly-looking, pale and clammy. Her hair was like bristles, brown against her skin. The glint in her eye was not calculating and political. It was calm and treacherous, like a recoiling sea before a tidal wave. A constantly oncoming attack. Her nails were claws, razor blades, threatening to turn every touch deadly. She was breathtaking, the way a punch to the gut is. Next to her sizzled the tapestry of chaos. Brown dry skin around green tense eyes and a wide grinning mouth. Her energy was disorder itself. A deranged spinning mania. A broken dam of patchwork behaviour. Vesh realised that trying to speak of her caused a tremble in his extremities to such an extent that Taran put a hand on his arm. The tall form was intimidating. This smaller one was terrifying. He had seen this place's memory of what had happened. Had the smaller figure snapped the messenger's neck without even flinching. How the larger one had pounced and eaten. I, they killed her just, just to kill someone. Vesh knew what he said was true, and he hated that fact. Very seldom did he feel such a one-dimensional feeling as hate, but this act did that to him, at least for a little while. So nothing to do with Crow, then? Tyron said with a sigh, still keeping a hand on Vesh's arm. You can't rule that out. Lydikai said sharply. As you know, time and temporal things work differently in there. Vesh motioned towards the mangled body on the ground. Tarrant, could you say anything, something about when she died? Tarrant let go of Vesh and stepped a little closer to the body in the ditch. The messenger was on her stomach, all limbs in weird angles. Taryn sat down by her, leaning a little closer, picking up a dry stick to poke with. 
After a few ten breaths, Taryn stood up again with an unsatisfied shrug. It's hard to say. Weather, that kind of thing. She sounded exhausted. Vesh realized he had momentarily forgotten to keep in mind what had happened to her the previous night. The inflicted hex brand, the screams, the blood, the fear. Tried not to remember too vividly now. Couldn't, shouldn't. Taryn had asked him not to. Though, uh, tooth marks aren't from an animal, so yeah, confirms the ori-eating-her thing, I suppose. She waved dully towards Vesh. You all right? Lady Kai said, moving up to Taryn. Vesh heard Lady Kai give a determined sigh and saw him bring his hands up to hold Taryn's shoulders, looking into her face. She met his gaze with a surprised look. Then a small, mischievous, free, short chuckle made it out of her. The tiredness allowed to show in full. Not really, I guess, she sighed. Come on, Lady Kai said, leading her back to the road, offering his arm for support. She took it with an amused snort. They were walking, something they had decided on based on them not knowing what awaited them. Taryn had pointed out that Maya Main was a liability in most places. She would get them a lot of unwanted attention anywhere that weren't places she knew, and had introduced her undead friend. What had happened that dawn couldn't be held at bay in Vesh's mind anymore. A scream piercing an all-encompassing silence that had enveloped him and Lidjikai, hiding Taryn from them until then. There had been blood everywhere. Taryn trying to grasp everything in a hazed panic, screaming, clawing at the pain, making it worse, until they could calm her down. Her entire back was covered by a new hex brand, tearing through her other delicate little hexes and her older founts. A dim blue light pulsed through it. Scrambling, they had managed to combine their efforts to heal Taryn, mostly through guiding her own magic back into her but they all noticed how unbalanced it was, and it wasn't just the fear. Her magic was offset without the pattern of founts and hexes she was used to. Both Vesh and Lydikai had to guide and stabilize her through her desperate fear at how on end her entire existence had just been put. After that, Taryn had been very characteristically herself about it, though all the usual edge was wrung out of her. She got effective wanted to get moving, stressed, time pressure, now more than ever. This was her way of handling her fear. Not at all. Afternoon was giving way to a partly cloudy evening. Taryn freed herself from Lydica's arm and took the lead among the three of them again. What are you fretting about, puppy? Derry's voice was saturated with mock concern. Lon snarled in response. Dealwood forests provided too little cover for her. Dense foliage high above them, sun-deprived ugly twigs poking through the dead leaves on the ground. I know you think very highly of yourself, but your little sky tidal wave would not stop the ribs of Calopis outright, Lon said. 
Even if you manage to incapacitate them somehow, that is more likely to have egged a poro on than anything else. She's the proudest person I've ever met. And that is saying a lot. Lon added in a quieter voice. I know you don't approve of my tactics, Derry said, slightly winded from the pace Lon insisted on keeping. But I can't just do it again if they somehow manage to catch up with us, you know. There's always some rain around here. <laughs> tactics, Lon said with a scoff. You wouldn't recognize tactics if they were stuck in your keck. Derry let out a sound of protest. Every way you approach a situation is tactics, in some way or form. Just because it doesn't adhere to your sweaty, panting, noose-like ideas of them doesn't mean they're not actual tactics. Ever heard of shock? I think you could use one now and again. I don't get shocked. Something you should be happy about, seeing how you choose to do everything, Lon said. Noticing she was smiling. Really, Mudpie, you should find something that does so. It is quite the rush. And I'm so pleased you're back to your usual spear-edge of mind. Leaves me room to be myself. If I had only known that all it took was a sturdy meal to get you back to me. Lon sighed. She moved along in silence, dairy behind her, panting, but also sometimes muttering under her breath. Whatever the nearly unconscious Ori on her shoulder had been babbling about must have been a misunderstanding. Derry was just being Derry, freezing up in that chaotic head of hers at an appallingly bad moment. That must be it. The mask on the crow should, if nothing else, keep them from uttering any other nonsense that confused Derry. It would take a few days for them to get through the forest. Lon felt very ready for all this to be over.